0: So welcome back to the uh, Aerospace Executive Podcast. I am, uh, I'm absolutely thrilled to have uh, Mark Bell from uh, Boca Raton, Florida, on board with me. Mark is uh, the CEO of Terran Orbital. Uh, Terran is a, a world leader in the manufacture of small satellites, and uh, that world is about ready to get on fire. Would you say, Mark, 50,000 satellites over the, the next 10 years?
1: That's what they're saying. it's uh, the market is growing beliefs. Uh, if you look at how many launch vehicles are being built, uh, they, the market's on fire.
0: Well welcome. thanks for coming on today.
1: Thank you for having me. I appreciate it.
0: So I was as I was mentioning before we, we started recording, yeah your background is incredible. Um, you, you're a hell of an entrepreneur. You've done everything from real estate investment trusts uh, to Broadway shows which You said on a dare, and now you're uh, you know, now you've got uh, Terran Orbital getting ready to go public and a SPAC, and it's it's exciting stuff. And and uh, how did you get how did you end up in the the the, the satellite arena? What what made you to go from Broadway to satellites?
1: Well, it, it all started when I was a child. Uh, I wanted to be an astronaut, that was my goal as a kid. Uh, I wanted to be an astronaut. Uh, ended up in high school becoming a computer nerd and was uh, got pretty good at programming. And my father told me there's no future to computers. I should be a doctor, a lawyer, an accountant. So I went ahead, studied accounting, uh, got a master's in real estate finance, and uh, realized I really just wanted to work with computers. And uh, started my first company out of grad school, and which turned into uh, Globix. Uh Globix, we had uh, owned 28,000 miles of fiber around the world. We were the world's largest logical peer, meaning we connected to more networks than anybody else. And we were the second largest owner of internet data centers in the world. But fiber couldn't reach everywhere. So I realized, you know, in Eastern Europe specifically, so we went ahead and we started building ground stations uh, all throughout Eastern Europe. And that was my first foray into uh, satellites.
0: You talk about eastern europe former soviet satellite companies or more like poland you know the former satellite where internet is just kind of was just kind of a budding thing is it, did you see the market there
1: yeah yeah. You know, we were trying to be a global we were a global provider i mean we provided uh internet internet access around the globe uh mostly to foreign telephone companies foreign isps we were a carriers carrier Is how we viewed it that's how business started and then people started asking us to build websites and hosting websites. So we went from a carrier to a web hosting company to a co-location firm. We hosted some of Microsoft's original websites, some Walmart's original websites, awesome. about half of the Fortune 50, we were their original hosting company.
0: Awesome. I love it. So now here you are with uh, with uh, with Taryn. When did you start When did you start, Taryn? How long ago?
1: Uh, Taryn started, uh, the idea started about eight, 10 years ago. Uh, I was at the Milken Conference out in LA. Um, people were starting to talk about CubeSats. And uh, so I wanted to meet the guy who invented the CubeSat. And it was these two gentlemen, Dr. Jordi Pugswari and Bob Twiggs. Uh, Jordi Pugswari was up at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. Bob was up at Stanford. Uh, Cal Poly was closer. So I flew up to Cal Poly, met with Jordi. He's showing me what he was doing. And he, had, and, uh, he asked if he wanted a job. So I wanted to start building satellites using small satellites. If your iPhone has more computing power than the space shuttle, yep. why is anybody building a satellite the size of a school bus? And that's kind of how the idea came about. And uh, Jordy said, you know, this is great. I, I, I have a job. I have tenure. Mike will pay you double. And he's like, great. But, you know, I, I own a company called Tyvek where we make parts. And you'd have to buy that too and so i said sure so i invested in tyvek we moved it in irvine to a new facility and uh, off to the races we off to the races we went
0: so where do you see the market i mean you guys are pretty well focused i mean I, you know a lot of people are talking about low Earth orbit you know internet you know the sky you know uh uh elon musk starlink type stuff you're kind of in a different area though um
1: so, so we, we view ourselves as a bus provider so we build the core of the satellite, and we're payload agnostic, meaning you can do internet of things, 5G, communications, earth observation. We don't care what you do uh, as long as you're using us to build your bus. Now, we can build payloads as well, but the bus is where it all starts. And we're viewing, you know, so we don't view, so we don't compete with all these companies like that are starting up, that are doing things like a Black Sky or a Spire. People like that could be a customer of ours, Where we can go ahead and build the buses for them, and we decided to focus on the U.S. market and focus predominantly on national security interests. And so we do a lot. We do a lot of civil work for NASA, uh, but our primary customer is the U.S. government, uh, DoD, IC community, and it's been uh, you know it's been we've seen fabulous growth throughout the business.
0: No, I see Lockheed Martin is a big investor or an investor in Terran. I got to take it. U.S. government, Lockheed Martin, um, little, little, uh, yes, good customer. You're investor and customer and. Okay.
1: It was, so Lockheed Martin was by design. So we went out, and we, we, we needed a big brother. And so we went out and did a bake-off of all the big primes. We met with them. And Lockheed really fit our vision of where we want to go. And uh, so we, we they invested in the company. But more importantly, they're a partner. Uh, we signed a, something called the Strategic Cooperation Agreement with them. So we go ahead and jointly bid on and produce satellites programs with them um, all throughout the U.S. government.
0: Gotcha. And then obviously we talked about AE industrial partners as, a, as, a, as, a, as an investor and a partner with you. They've obviously got Redwire component, they're supplying components to Terran as you manufacture the satellites as well. As, yes. as, yeah. What's your supply chain look like in the so, whole manufacturing process?
1: So uh Redwire is one of many suppliers for us. Uh, you know, we are we are acquiring a lot of our supply chain or cutting strategic deals. So Redwire is an investor with us, uh just like Big Bear as well and uh, Big Bear AI. So, you know, we are looking, we're partnering with people and uh, really the goal at the end of the day is to control quality, uh, control manufacturability and mass produ- mass producibility of what we're doing.
0: You know, I was, I was out in my backyard, I don't know, two weeks ago watching a SpaceX rocket fly up the east coast of, you know, east coast of Carolina at uh, 11 o'clock at night and it's a it's a pretty cool thing everybody thinks about the spacex's and the virgin galactics but nobody really thinks about the manufacturer of the. Set. nobody knows i mean you, you can talk about the launch guys but nobody knows who manufactures the equipment you know yeah, we, we how see, big's your market i mean how big your market how competitive is it what's it what's it look like
1: so we, we have two parts of the business we have one part which is our satellite solutions business which is where we build satellites and all of our competitors have been acquired. So Millennium got acquired by Boeing. Uh, Blue Canyon got acquired by Raytheon. Uh, but by getting acquired by the big primes, their cost structure will change. They'll mm-hmm. so become part of the big primes and become non-competitive. And they'll go and there's a mission within Space Force and the U.S. government to lower the cost of acquisition and break the stranglehold of the primes they have on uh, the cost of manufacturing satellites. And we really are the best of both worlds. So we have all the knowledge and education, all the knowledge and history of Lockheed Martin, and we have all the advantages of being an entrepreneurial organization at Terran Orbital. So the combination of the two of us is a powerful force when we go in and bid on work because we're able to provide very low cost, very high quality products, uh, to our customers at the end of the day.
0: It's, it's fascinating. Now you you're building a facility. Now I, I see you. you're building a facility in the space coast.
1: We're always, but we've been building. We're building nonstop everywhere. Uh, but the, the last one we announced is on uh, Space Coast. Uh, it's a six hundred thousand plus square foot facility that'll be able to do over a thousand satellites a year. Uh, it is we'll in house. We we'll want to be able to manufacture our own printed circuit boards. Uh, everything will be done in house, and uh, we're very excited about it.
0: Space Coast is starting to get a little bit, you know. It's and and let's just talk about the people side of the house and you know COVID. Everybody's dying for. Yeah, dying for top talent. Um, Embraer is on the space coast now. Obviously, NASA. There's a lot of competition there. Yeah, how are yeah How are you finding people? You know, are you yeah you know, How are you setting yourself aside? how are you setting yourself apart? Yeah, you know, um, tell me about that. Tell me about that dynamic right now.
1: You know, we we so when I took over as CEO in March of last year, uh, we had about 120 people. Today, we're uh, just under 300 and adding people at a rapid pace uh people want to work for a startup people want to leave the big primes people like the excitement uh they like the stock i mean we're going public uh mm-hmm. through a merger with uh tailwinds two yeah uh, which is uh on the new york stock exchange it trades uh the civil twnt we are uh, people want to become a part of a fast growth high growth public company and it's exciting because you know that's uh you don't uh, we always explain to future employees, you don't get rich getting a paycheck, you get rich building equity. And uh, they work hard, they control the run- At the end of the day, our employees control our own destiny. And that's uh, great.
0: Let's talk about that a little bit, if you don't mind. Um, sure. I tell, I say the same thing to people all the time. Quit, quit thinking about the base and the bonus and start thinking about building the company and go to a place where you can get some equity and have a good time. You, you've obviously, you're going back to you and your entrepreneurial streak. Um, you've obviously over the years built a pretty good team, surrounded yourself with some really good people who understand how to build value around, you know, build corporate company value. How did you you connect with these people and how do you keep those, you know, tell me about that relationship building process.
1: You know, I, I consider myself very blessed to have met a phenomenal group of people over the past 30 years. And some of whom have stuck with me all along and, you know, I, I always want I I say, and I mean, I always want to hire people smarter than myself. Uh, I always want to be the dumbest guy in the room. And, and granted, it's a very low hurdle and that's okay. And, uh, you know, we all sign on to the same mission. We all have a plan and we, what our business plan is, and we march forward and uh, and it's, it's exciting.
0: Yeah. You know, when you talk about those relationships, are you, you know, are you guys always continually looking at different businesses and thinking about, you know, thinking about this? Is it networks of people in different industries? Is it, you know, uh, just from a people standpoint, you know, if you're, you're talking to a young person and saying, hey, here's how you grow your network of people. You know, what we, are you
1: thinking? We stick to what we know. I mean, you know, we try to, almost always technology businesses. Granted, we've gone some tangents over the decades uh, for some intellectual stimulations or for fun, but we, we always try to stick to what we know. And we're very good with things, uh, software, hardware, uh, applications of that, uh, but mostly problem solving. You know, if you look at turn Orbital, the other side of the business is our mission solutions business, it's solving problems. Mm-hmm. So, our first constellation we're going to be building is called Predisar. And the way we look at that is you have Earth Observation 1.0, which is electro optical imaging. Uh, you look at a uh, uh, DigiGlobe or Planet Labs. You know, viewing the Earth, but you only can see the Earth on a clear, sunny day when the sun's reflecting from the Earth. Uh, so then, Earth Observation 2.0 with synthetic aperture radar, you can see through clouds, and with predatorr it's Earth Observation 3.0. It's we're merging optical imaging and synthetic aperture radar into a single platform, and that gives us 24/7 uh, observation of the
0: Earth from a uh, from a military standpoint, or you know, you know, DoD. National security standpoint um you know, the 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 you know the uh results are obvious you know the need is obvious what about from a commercial standpoint what commercial operator you know what commercial companies would come to you with that kind of need um outside the dod i
1: mean there's lots of things we could do and problems we can solve around the world for example we can you know, for global warming, we could tell you where, uh, how high ice is floating off the water, where you have ice melts, and because with radar you can you can measure mm-hmm. the uh, the depth the the depth of an iceberg, how tall it is. Mm-hmm. We could see on the um, map out on the Brazilian rainforest, we could see under the canopy. Where are their indigenous tribes and where there's illegal logging? Um, so there's lots of applications, you know, to make help make the world, you know, a better place outside of our national security interests of making the world a safer place. So at the end of the day, all we want to do is make the planet a better place, depending on regardless of what side of the house we're talking about.
0: How are you staying? I mean, obviously rapidly developing, you know, technology is moving at a mile a minute or faster. Um, your satellites are probably in space for what's the life of a satellite five six years in orbit uh,
1: they're five years and they're probably we're moving at a rate of about six kilometers a second so we're moving pretty fast and
0: so, uh, <laughs> so what I mean yeah you, you talk about the technology though and you're going hey the technology we build today is obsolete in six years how do you staying ahead do you, do you have a team of scientists or kind of staying ahead of the technology or are you letting your customers kind of uh, are you letting your customers figure out the requirements and then you build them to to meet them?
1: You know, we're, we're very lucky. We have a, a phenomenal team of scientists, but we also do what's called CRETAs, Cooperative Research and Development Agreements, with government entities such as uh, Jet Propulsion Labs, Lawrence Livermore Labs, MIT Lincoln Labs. And so we get the access to government dollars to help us to do development. So we're always working on next generation. Everything, Every satellite we're working on today, we're all working also on what that satellite will look like five years from now.
0: Gotcha. Now, you know, as part of that, too, I, you know, your management team is unbelievable. Thank you. Talk about, you know, you, you brought in some, you know, some uh, amazing Air Force officers, some amazing, you know, some folks out of NASA. How did you how did you actively recruit them? How did you bring them in? How did you get them out of the big company and start to thinking about startup? Was it a big mind shift for them to go from big mama Boeing to. Terran 300 person company that's 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 on fire
1: you know the, a lot of the people who've joined us from the military uh from all branches of the military uh are uh they were the customer so they understand better than anybody else what we're building and what the applications are for what we're building today. So they all found it very exciting because they saw the needs when they were in the military and they see that what we're building to solve the problems that the military has. And it was just, it was an easy sell.
0: They like the building the company part. They like the building the company part,
1: but they're also, they want to protect the warfighter. They want mm-hmm. to keep you all safe. I mean, these are people who've dedicated their lives to national security and we thank them for their service and you know and they still want but that being said they still want to be able to be active in national security and this is you know unlike the big primes here they can have a real active you know global role in what we're doing
0: what's your talent mapping process i mean you you've you've obviously gone out and you found the best and the brightest from the military um but you've got you know another tier underneath them how are you, you know, what's your process for going out and finding the best and the brightest? And how are you, you know, how do you manage the process and how do you, you know, uh, attract them? And, you know, other than, uh, you know, hey, you know, the equity package, et cetera, how do you, how do you, you know, sort of sell the sizzle? there?
1: You know, we, we use a lot of recruiting firms. That's really because The recruiting firms have the ability to have reach. They have, the, they, have a, they have a network of people that we just don't have access to. So firms like yours are tremendously helpful.
0: Are you, is there, you know, is there a, is there a, uh, I, I think more of the question I was asking and thinking about is, is there a profile you look for in an executive? Is there, you know, do you, you know, private equity companies like private equity experience, or we're looking for a certain pedigree or engineering, you know, engineering discipline, things like that? How do you determine success in the executives that you hire?
1: In a perfect world, it's a PhD in engineering with an MBA. Uh, (laughs) That's a perfect world. It doesn't happen that often, but you want someone who understands business, but also understands the technology. So it is a, uh, you need a very sophisticated person, but also someone who understands how to read a balance sheet and how to manage people. Because managing people is always the hardest part, especially in hyper-growth companies. You know, you're bringing on a, a very diverse workforce, and very quickly you're bringing them on board, and you have to train them, get them up to speed, get them to work as a team, and you're building new teams all the time. And it takes a while to, to get these things to gel.
0: Anything out of the ordinary from what you've done in your prior companies, or do you find the process the same in you know the satellite, you know, the satellite world?
1: So it's funny we we talk about this all the time. And we're using the same playbook here that we've been using for the past 30 years. The playbook we wrote at Globix on how to build a startup, we're trying as much as possible to use that playbook here, because that was a poster child on hyper growth, uh, getting people on board, smart people on board, you know, revolutionizing an industry. And that's exactly what we did here. I mean, if you think about it, we were the pioneers of the small set. I mean, Jordi, Dr. Jordi Pakswari, the founder of Tyvek, is the inventor of the CubeSat. So, you know, he is the guy who started this whole thing. And so we are going out and, you know, trying to, re- we are finding people and putting them into place, helping them to build their teams and uh, it's all out of a playbook from before.
0: It's amazing. A 30-year-old playbook still uh, still stands today. It's like, you know, just go back to the basics and, and focus on, on talent.
1: It, 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 it's like Michael Porter's book, Competitive Strategy, The Harvard Professor. The book is still relevant, you know, uh, 30 years later.
0: That's it's, it's, it's great. You got, so in addition to some uh, phenomenal investment from, you know, private equity from Lockheed Martin, you got the state of Florida to invest a large sum of money into Terran. It was yeah. $300 million.
1: Yeah, so they, they, they're putting up $300 million to build the new facility. Uh, we're bringing 2,100 jobs to the Space Coast. And it is uh it's a win-win for both of us. Was
0: was that a difficult process to, to convince uh to convince Florida to to make that investment? Or was it uh, here we are, here's our management team, here's what we're doing. Come in the waters warm.
1: You know, we have a lot of offers from a lot of states to do this, and but Florida was by far the easiest and best to work with.
0: You like the growth there?
1: You know, we, I like the weather here. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Now you had facilities. You had facilities in California. You you have facilities in California. Are they going to stay, or are you moving everything to the East Coast?
1: No, no, they're going to stay. And this is going to be additional facilities on the East Coast. We're going to continue to expand out in California, despite the tax rate. And uh, we're going to then we're going and we're going to expand. We're going to build brand new facilities here in Florida.
0: How's the relationship? I mean, uh, you know, obviously SpaceX is the you know one of the the premier launch vehicles. Is that where you're is that who's carry most of your payloads into space? And talk about how that dynamic, you know, 20 years ago, launching a satellite in, uh, into orbit was a uh, hundred million dollars. Today, it's a fraction of it. How's that change?
1: You know, uh, so Marco Villa, uh, one of the original guys at Tyvek, uh, was one of the original guys at SpaceX. He was one of Elon's original first hundred employees. And uh, we have a phenomenal relationship with SpaceX. They are a great ride, a very reliable ride. And so they're our primary ride to orbit, but we use everybody. So uh we are we're ride agnostic at the end of the day. It's what the customer wants. Well, you
0: yeah, you know, when you talk about a launch, is it you know a constellation, you know, a small cube satellite? Are you are you launching a constellation? Are you doing onesie twosie? Is it you know, what's that whole process look like?
1: So we've gone from building, we don't build CubeSats anymore. We've gone from building CubeSats. We went from building a one use to three use, which we don't do anymore. To, we'll still do six use, but it's really 12 use, 16 use. But now we're building satellites as big as 500 kilograms. So we've gotten, we've got the satellites have gotten bigger. The first they got smaller and now they've gotten bigger uh, because the demands of what uh, the government wants to put on them require a bigger bus.
0: Has that has that provided challenges as far as the manufacturing process goes to you know go from small to big, or is it just kind of hey look we're just adjusting and uh, we're taking it from there?
1: No, it's it's pretty much it's just it's just scalability. In other words, we're just building the same design just larger size. <clears throat> you know, think of it as uh, you know a Chevy Suburban and a Chevy Tahoe. Just a Suburban's just you know three feet longer, and but uh, it's, it's, it's the same car.
0: How are the um, you know look uh, obviously not public yet, so divulge you know, say what you can. But how are the yeah you, know, you talk about. Uh, you know, satellite manufacturer, what's, you know, if, if the, the average cost of a satellite today, margins you you, know, you look for, is it, you know, are, are margins going to be, you know, increasing down the road with technology? Is it a little bit, is it, is it a competitive market? How does that all look for, for Terron?
1: You know, the, the prices, on one hand, you know, we're, our goal is to continue to drive the costs down uh, to our customers, but we're also drawing down the cost of manufacturing. So as for Space Florida, for example, will be a fully robotic assembly facility. So we'll be able to cut our costs almost in half for producing a satellite and produce them much faster and quicker. So it'll be it'll be higher quality at a lower cost and a faster timeline for our customers. And that's that's the goal.
0: What's uh, when you talk about So it's fully robotic. Do you have you, you know, are, are you partnered up with who's your biggest partner as far as the manufacturing manufacturing lines go? How are you continually? you know, modernizing your assembly lines.
1: Uh, we're build, doing a lot of this in-house, whether or not. And our goal is to, uh, you know, other than buying some of the equipment from the outside, but we've always been a big believer. Of, just like we did in the in the nineties at Globix, you know, we built our own data centers ourselves. You know, we do. We'd like to do things ourselves because we control the quality, control exactly what we want. And I'm lucky enough to be surrounded by smart enough people who know how to do this.
0: I love it. Fifty thousand satellites, though, in the next ten years. Yeah. You know, you, you read the news. Yeah, you divide by two and there's the truth, right? yeah everybody talks about space getting crowded and um you had some interesting comments. Um I was I was listening to to another interview you did, and you had some interesting comments about space and crowdedness.
1: So, uh, space situational awareness is what people call managing and monitoring what's up in space. But you think about it, there's a lot of space in space. <laughs> it's uh, you have a lot of a Y for you, know, you have the X, Y, and Z, right? right? But you know, on the Earth, you have you know, forty percent of the Earth is covered by land, sixty percent by oceans. On that forty percent of land, you got three point two billion cars. And you have about 2,000 feet of Y being Birch Khalifa, and that's about it. Uh, and most of those cars don't crash into each other that every day. A few of them do. Uh, but in space, you have 48,000 miles of Y. You have 40, so you have an enormous amount of space in space. You have low Earth orbit, medium earth orbit, geosynchronous orbit, and plus you, plus we do missions to the moon, to Mars, deep space. So uh, there's an infinite amount of space out there. Uh, but traffic management is becoming an issue. And just like the other day, you know, the Chinese were claiming they had to move out of the way. uh, uh, Starlink, I'm sure they claim anything to get a little bit of press. But the reality is we are, uh, there's a lot of space out there and the government is doing a very good job of coming up ways for traffic management. Uh, The space debris that's out there, people who are testing these anti-satellite weapons is very irresponsible because it creates lots of debris, which affects everybody. And uh, eventually, you know, there'll be some, hopefully, some laws around doing that. But there'll also be some mechanisms people will build to go ahead and clean up some of that garbage that's out there. I don't see that far. That it, I don't see it being that far away.
0: Do you see a regulatory, do you, do you see a, a stricter regulatory environment? Um, you know, FCC, whoever, you know, do, do you see them playing a bigger hand in it? Or do you, do you think it, for the most part, everybody's kind of a responsible? Yeah, responsible user with the exception of, you know, yeah, the, the incidents we just talked you, you just mentioned, uh,
1: the regulators are doing a great job and, uh, whether it be the FCC or NOAA, you know, they're responsibly uh, managing the process, uh, for space. I'm, you know, I'm very, very happy with what they're doing. It's a, uh, you know, you don't want people, you don't want people throwing stuff in orbit and causing problems. And uh, and accidents do happen. You've had a collision, I think, a couple of years ago, where two satellites bumped into each other, and that was just purely an accident. But future satellites will be able to avoid each other automatically. You're going to see over the next five years a whole slew of new systems for collision avoidance. Uh, kind of like how airplanes have TCAS today. Yeah. Uh, you'll see satellites having that as well. TCAS tell the pilots to go up to go down uh, to avoid each other. But you'll see satellites will automatically have artificial intelligence so they know to move left and right and uh, or up and down to avoid each other.
0: What's got you most excited? I mean, yeah, you know, obviously there's a it's a it's a relatively young industry. Um, yeah when much when you were developing yeah, you know, internet in eastern europe you you must have been excited for the future what's what's got you really excited now
1: you know the, the, I mean satellites have been around for decades i mean it's so it but it's been this the what we call new space right. and the affordability of space, and people like SpaceX that made it cheap to get rides into orbit, but now you have rocket labs and ABL and all these new guys launching cheap rockets, so it became much more cost effective to go into space. And guys like us have reduced the cost. What you could do for a billion dollars, I can now do for $10 million uh, in terms of a satellite. So you don't need to spend a billion dollars anymore to build a satellite that we could have the same functionality on a million, a $10 million satellite. It's a big difference. And uh, so that, that is what's exciting is all the different applications that we can now do for low Earth orbit that couldn't be done before. At a price point that makes it all different kinds of missions uh, doable that you couldn't do before.
0: Now Cost you're obviously you're obviously DoD a little bit more DoD centric. Do you see yourself moving more into that commercial world? Do You have enough manufacturing capability to take on some additional clients, or are you you're pretty happy with your current customer? And uh... we, we, we
1: love our we love our current customer. And but that but we are moving we will move with Space Florida being opened into more commercial work as well. Uh, but we want to keep a healthy balance between commercial, civil, and government work, a healthy balance out there.
0: In addition to the low-Earth you know, internet, internet from space, um, what are the, you know, obviously XM, Sirius, you know, you usually, you know, the, the people, the, the stuff people know. Where do you see industries developing from space? You know, much like you saw, you know, the, the internet, you know, the, as the internet has transformed over the last, you know, 25 years. You know, what new industries are going to, are we gonna see from coming from space?
1: You know, you're gonna see a lot of things, uh, a lot of AI and pulling together all these different data sources. So for example, you have people doing optical imaging, synthetic up to radar, hyperspectral imaging, but people will start to mesh all this together, provide all sorts of intelligence about our planet that wasn't available before. And it can help agriculture, it can help climate change, they can help all sorts of things that just didn't wasn't available before. Imagine mapping Florida the day before and the day after a hurricane, and having software tell you everybody who was missing a roof the day before the hurricane to prevent insurance fraud. And so there's tons of applications that are going to be built. They're going to save companies billions and make companies billions. If you're monitoring crops in different countries and different places, you can monitor them in real time and figure out where are you getting the highest yield. And, you imagine, know, you know, an unlimited food supply for the planet uh, just by having better crop management and, you know, making, feeding the planet, hydrating the planet. Uh, there's lots of things that can be done uh, from space today and over the next decade that wasn't was not practical to do before.
0: Anything that scares you a little bit?
1: Nothing that scares me. It's the uh, if anything, it's making the world a safer place. Uh, knowledge is power. And uh, you know, people know people seeing what everybody else is doing. You know, if you look at the you know, say, you know the Cold War, you know, once everybody else, the Russia and the U.S. opened up and able to see what they're doing, you had nuclear arms reduction. You had things that made it a safer place because you know people, everyone, you know, if, you, if everyone knows that everybody's doing, there's no surprises, and uh, people could talk things through
0: gotcha what i mean so you're getting ready to go uh you're not quite public yet i know your SPAC sponsor is public you're gonna you guys are gonna merge in
1: uh we're hoping sometime for q1 of this year
0: what's uh? and then you're gonna trade new york stock exchange under what ticker symbol uh
1: the new the current symbol for the SPAC is t-w-n-t our new symbol is going to be l-l-a-p
0: how do you see? Uh, and obviously, you see a, a pretty meteoric. You got to be excited about you know, your prospects of growth and what, yeah, uh, you know, what's all you know? You, you think about the the meteoric growth the industry is seeing. Um, what's you know? What's the challenges of managing all that?
1: It's managing growth. You're, re- you're hiring, we're hiring a lot of people, building a lot of facilities and getting these people to work together. You know, people, are, people are our biggest asset, but they've got to, you're taking a lot of people from diverse backgrounds and putting them in teams. Again, people are always the hardest thing to manage. But once you get them to work together as a team, it's beautiful.
0: I love it. So good. So we'll see you as a, a publicly traded company and uh, uh, Mark Bell of Terran Orbital. Thanks for, uh, thank you for coming on. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed the latest edition of the Aerospace Executive Podcast. You can reach out to me directly, Craig at NorthstarESG.com, or check us out at www.northstarESG.com. You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, or on YouTube just do a search for Aerospace Executive Podcast. Thanks again. I'm Craig Kim.